Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by The Big Picture on Channel 33, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. Each week, The Ringer's editor-in-chief, Sean Fennessy, interviews directors, producers, and screenwriters for a peek behind the scenes of blockbuster films and festival favorites. On the latest episode, he sits down with Adam Wingard, one of my favorite genre directors, director of the new film Death Note on Netflix. Mm. And they chat about that. I hope they talked about your next one of my favorite horror jams from the last few years. Subscribe and listen to The Big Picture on Channel 33, available on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello, and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan, and I'm editor at TheBringer.com. And joining me in the studio, it was the podcast prince that was promised, Danny Greenwald! Yo, guys, listen, we are Bob Seegers making night moves here. We just wrapped Talk the Thrones a few feet away here at the studios in Hollywood. Yeah. And uh, now... I'm one champagne and one, one Miller Lite into this. The champagne went right to my head. And uh, yeah. <laughs> now, first of all, shouts to Zach Mack, who records Binge Mode, who records The Watch, who drove who to produces- work... Bruce produces Binge Mode the Watch. What did I say? He records. Like, he's not just an engineer. He's a, Are you Steve Albini, Zach, or do you, or do you like a more a tourist Spectre. touch? Uh, Andy, it's Sunday night. We just watched Game of Thrones. We just did Talk the Thrones. You can still watch Talk the Thrones at your leisure uh, on all of our Twitter accounts, on the Ringer's Twitter account. It's very easy to find. Uh, we're here on Sunday night recording because Andy is leaving for parts unknown tomorrow. I'm going on vacation. So but- we wouldn't, we're going to get a chance, but I had to get... Uh, the major domo of peak TV yeah. to weigh in. <laughs> I had to feed the streets. Yeah. So let's get right to it, man. Season seven is a wrap. Yeah. We've been talking about this show for the better part of our last five Ad- or six adult years. Adult lives. So yeah. what did you think? What a weird season. You know, it was really a fascinating and bumpy ride. We knew going into the season that seven episodes would feel different. And that was even before we realized, as I said on Talk the Thrones, that they invented teleportation. This didn't feel like any other Game of Thrones season. Um, And it was so striking to think about how we went from the literal highs of the loot train battle to the increasingly low lows of Beyond the Wall just a week ago, where we were basically thinking, they're going to screw this up. We were almost, it's not that we were out on the show, but we had lost a lot of faith in Benioff and Weiss. That lack of faith continued for about 30 minutes into this episode. I think... Our maester, Jason Concepcion, uh, shame-belled me and said it was 37 minutes in because he was he had his stopwatch out like uh, he was coaching Steve Prefontaine. And uh, then it turned. Then all of a sudden, the mojo came back. The momentum came back. The little finger scene. Um, the, obviously, the phenomenal ending with the dragon. All the Jon Snow stuff in between. This show can still flip the switch when it wants to and still get into that next gear when it's ready to. But it has been a fascinating study in watching a phenomenon have to comport to the rules of television. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, sure. Endings are super hard. And in looking back in hindsight, and this is very brief hindsight, and obviously Miller Light fueled hindsight, um, to think about it, but a lot of the things that we are bagging on kind of make sense in the writer's room meta squinty way that these things often do when shows that we love stumble a little bit, right? Um is it okay that it was only 10 minutes ago? Can I repeat myself from talking to I'm sure you can. This, this was my bigger point, that the big, the war to come, the great war that Jon Snow talks about, 
is uh, it's a question of scale. It is a CGI versus CGI battle. Uh huh. That can work in movies, but TV does what TV does best is what Tyrion once called powerful men in rooms talking about stuff. So the question for this season, once they decided they weren't going to take too many pieces off the board this year, was how do we get these people back into these rooms when they are so far apart? And what they came up with, and TV is built on this, the best worst choice. And it was this, you know, zombie rescue mission. What did we get out of that? Well, obviously, the Night King got a dragon out of it. Mm -hmm. But we got also Tyrion in a room with Jaime, Tyrion in a room with Cersei. Particularly that, a great scene. Preposterous how they got there. Worth it? What do you think? I think that this, speaking with you about like the what this show me, meant this season as television rather than mm-hmm. as how it mm-hmm. serviced George R. R. Martin's books, I was so struck by, I mean, we've watched some of our favorite shows over the last 10 years stutter step into the endings. Yeah. Uh, Mad Men, um, Breaking Bad, and now Game of Thrones, I think. I at the end. Bad. Um, well, it split, it split its final season. Oh, you mean doing, splitting the, the I mean, up, in terms of the distribution the and, and how it. that breaks up. I mean, Breaking Bad was always a sort of, um, odd number of, se- of episodes, I think. You know, I mean, like that, that's, it was the second season that kind of, uh, the first season got cut short by right, the writer's strike. The first season got cut short. So, and then it kind of found itself in the second season, right? Mm-hmm. I think that I said this on the show. I will be much more interested to listen to a binge mode 20 years from now that looks back on 7 and 8 as one brick. I think it's important to think of it that way. Because I think a, a lot point. of this stuff that I thought I hated about Game of Thrones, I didn't ever hate anything about Game of Thrones. The stuff that was my least favorite part of Game of Thrones was stuff like Varys and Tyrion talking or even weirdly a full exploration of like, if you're going to have Theon on screen, show it. Show everything, show his storyline, Do mm-hmm. get dive deep into it. There were parts of the season that felt very truncated and felt very rushed. And then parts of the season that in turn felt, why are you doing this? Why are you giving so much time to something that I know cannot possibly ultimately matter? And I think that we went into this season with so many expectations about, you know, like people were talking about Cersei and Jamie dying in the first few episodes. That's what we thought. We we completely misjudged what the season would be. Game Bowl. Uh, You know, all these things that were going to happen, happen. And at the end of the season, what happened was Thoros died and Littlefinger died. Yep. And there was one second there last, this tonight, when I was like, well, Missing oh. Day got hers. Yeah, that's right. Uh, where I was like, Jamie's going to die right here. That was an exciting moment. I thought so too. And I was like, this is going to be really, I, I've, I've become obsessed with how they tip their hands to things because, you know, Red Wedding, in retrospect, they're, looks very orchestral they're and, golden hands. and planned out. What? They tip their golden hands. They tip their golden I'm, hands. I'm just trying, guys. Um, but now, you, you know, I would almost expect any character who dies to get the kind of, get to say your final defense the way there, that Littlefinger does. There are so many things that need to happen. And I put that in quotes. Not just for a from a plot perspective, but from a fan service perspective. Mm-hmm. And, Let's be real. The, the people making this show care about that. The Tormund Brienne thing fully emerged from fan reaction to it. That is not in the books. That was not in the scripts. That was just chemistry. And good for them. That's what a lot of TV does. And it's this type of um, spontaneous plot that I thought Game of Thrones was immune from. When it, yeah. was, it just felt like it was a track, like a ride at Disney World that Benioff and Weiss were just sort of riding a car around on. It's it, it's it's not that. But there's so much that still has to be done. And we got some interesting examples of how 
the, ver- the differing feelings of how it might play out in tonight's episode. Well, the um, thing that the- you said that was about this idea of CGI versus CGI, mm-hmm. and uh, we're venturing into the part of the story where this is actually the Night King and, and everything around him is the fantasy element of what is already a fantasy story. Mm-hmm. This is a story where things that people thought were myths or legends or things that just had died out, like dragons, the dragons died out. Night King, scary st- stories you tell your kids Magic, at Magic, warging. All that stuff. That's come back through. Mm-hmm. So next season, by the very nature of their power, I would expect the Night King and Bran to be major, major parts mm-hmm. of next season. If Bran is just, I see everything, but I show up once every three it's, episodes, it's a mistake. Not that I want it's to, hard to deal use that, with him being based out of his mind, but if he's that powerful, he should matter. Yeah. He should matter. But it's and that, that is hard gonna, to balance. You're going to see this show increasingly pull away. If these people are now south of the wall, they have to be a reality. They can't just be a rumor. They can't just be something that only John sees and he keeps dragging people to go see. So it'll be a fast. It's going to be a different it, show next year or two years from now than it was look, this season. We, it's interesting to realize how wrong we were on a bunch of stuff. And you, now that we can see a little bit more of the board that they were looking at, uh, Benioff and Weiss and, and the creators of the show, we thought Cersei was coming off the board because we thought that there were just so much still to be done. And mm-hmm. we thought the human villain was going to be taken care of this year and a CGI villain next year. They didn't humanize the CGI villain in any way, so there had to be human villains uh, next year. But now that death is literally marching and has broken through the wall, yeah, right, it becomes, and this was always a problem with the show, but now they're really facing it, it becomes harder and harder to make us care about B story and C story and D story. You know, it was, when, when it was just like global warming and everyone's like, well, I'm worried about it, but it's not here yet. I need to deal with this, you know, the, these sort of relatively piddling problems regarding castrating Theon or whatever else was going on. Um, so for example, this season, think about everything that happened with John and Daenerys, like huge legacy defining world shaking events. And Arya and Sansa were squabbling Mm -hmm. because Littlefinger was being mean to them. And yet that was given equal footing because that's what was happening in the North. And we have to track those characters. Cersei was kept alive now because whatever Cersei does because of our investment in her feels worthy. We care about her. We want to see her get her comeuppance or whatever. The, the resolution of Cersei whether she dies by Jamie's hand or Arya or whatever theory you want to come up with, that is one of the few planks remaining that will make audiences feel like, well, they're make them feel like they're not just stalling because the, the dead need to march I slower. actually have to say, I was pretty satisfied with this episode. I, I didn't even mind the first 30 minutes as much as you guys. I, 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 was, I sort of enjoyed the mix and match of characters who were all yeah. in the same, uh, same arena, literally. But I was, I was kind of disappointed by the fact that the whole... The Cersei's Tyrion, not really like we've patched things up scene, but mm-hmm. the we've learned to live together scene mm-hmm. was actually just a ruse. And part of that is because I think the show is at its best when it forces characters to do things they're uncomfortable doing. And almost every character has been put in one of those positions on this show with the exception of Cersei. She's always mm. been in King's Landing. She's always been pretty much what she says she is. Maybe well, she's I mean, her she, father's daughter. She did the walk of shame. Sure. That was uncomfortable. Yeah, I, I, I don't mean that. I mean more like she's never really gone outside of herself, you know, uh, at least in my eyes. And she's the most fascinating char- fascinating character on the show to me in a lot of ways. You, how do you feel about the breaking up of the couple of the century? Well, that's, I, that, is, that is interesting, but I almost think it would have been more fascinating to have Cersei go along with literally what she said. 
We're going to worry about what's happening later later, and mm-hmm. I hope that you remember. But that I that would about, ab- yeah. obviously come apart at the seams as soon as the, the the rubber hit the road. As soon as they tried to work together. Yeah, like I and I was I, when they when Euron was like, "I'm going back to the Iron Islands. Screw you guys." I was like, "Thank God." Yeah, someone should say that. I was like, "Thank God." Yeah, this makes is sense. A totally made sense, and B like get this guy out of the paint. Also. How did it make you feel when you realized not only was he not going to save himself, he was going to put elephants on his boats and right. take them across the ocean? So any any final thoughts you got on this? We're going to go to Mallory uh, and Jason in a minute. I know you got to go. How do you feel? I mean, one incestuous couple went off the board, but a new one took its place. And, yeah. you know, I want to give shouts to Zach, who really, uh, our producer, Zach Mack, who really wanted me to mention this. Interesting juxtaposition. The big reveal, like... Obviously, it was revealed last year, John's parentage mm-hmm. to us, but it was never explicitly stated. Bran finally, the molly hits, and he turns around <laughs> right when right when the beat drops, and he's just like, yo, this is who his parents are. Yeah. I am saying it now. We can stop dancing around it. Like, even the Theon scene was, the Theon-John scene was just suffuse in this, well, what are we really talking about? Okay, they said it, right? As they said it, as it was confirmed, this thing that has animated Jason and Mallory for two decades uh-huh. as readers of the books. That was intercut with uh, John going south of the wall on his aunt, which I think was an aggressive play by the showrunners to normalize it. You know, you know, hashtag this is not normal. <laughs> I mean, this is incest still, okay? And whatever, it's a fictional story, but it is a weird thing that yeah. George R. 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 Martin has. This is your waiter's island. Nobody cares. I, I don't think people care, but I am interested. You know this was conversations that they had where they were like, sure. everybody wants this yeah. Yeah, yeah. and we have to deal with it because Just our like in the way that tiny bearded years, lord has given us this. In 20 years and 10 years, we're going to look back and season seven and eight are going to bleed together and we're not. We're going to forgive some of the mistakes mm-hmm. of season seven for season eight. I don't think anybody in the Game of Thrones world is going to be like, but that's not. I know. Look, this isn't, it, it's just, it remains the most, to my mind, it's it's obviously the biggest show on TV, but it, it it sparks the most conversation. It is the most fascinating show on every level, especially now. I think as a lot of the some cracks are starting to show, an ice dragon melted the wall. I mean, that's something that happened, that and was that dope. was a really dope note to leave us on for yeah. what might be uh, fourteen months. It was also a reminder that this is going to this has been Game of Thrones. It's going to end as Game of Thrones. No show has this extra gear uh, like Game of Thrones does. Yeah. You know, Jason said on Talk the Thrones tonight, he looked into the camera, Stuart Smalley style, so and he was like, up. don't F this up. And I and I agree with him, of course, as many fans do. I just fundamentally believe, and this is not just me trying to cover up saying the show is critic-proof and then criticizing it for three weeks. Um, I don't think it can be quote-unquote bad, because look, look who's on the board. Look what they have to do. Look at the size of the story. If they need to, even if the first however many hours of next year feel weird, they can just press... The, the the Michael Knight turbo boost and do something nuts for the last 20 minutes and we will walk away satisfied, right? So it's but six episodes, but six, mega episodes. Six supersized. Like two hour episodes. Uh, shouts to, to Jeff Zucker. Yeah, supersized episodes. And we don't know when. They're going to, you know, obviously the, the CGI demands, the production, post-production. It will demands. not be next summer. It will not be next summer. It is likely to be next fall slash winter at the earliest. And we, winter Chris, is here. we're going to miss... We're going to miss talking about the show. Sure. Mallory's going to... We're going to miss Mallory, even though we're going to see her on Monday. I got to get Mallory into Ozark. Heartbroken. <laughs> um, it's thanks to... We got to say thanks to everybody for uh, watching, tweeting, 
getting engaged on social with us. Yeah, man. Talk of Thrones was a blast this year. It was really fun. We love talking about the show. Obviously, there'll be more to talk about as, uh, you know, things leak out over the next year. Well, not, I'm gonna not have literally a con- leak. Don't leak this season. Yeah, no. Do not do that. I'm going to have a conversation with Mallory and Jason next about their thoughts about season seven, but we bid adieu to Andy Greenwald now. Great. Have a great week. Well, you're not having a week off, but I'm going to have a great time, Baranski. Bye, buddy. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Hotel Tonight. If you are like me and you're not so great at planning ahead, got some good news for you. There is this awesome app called Hotel Tonight that helps you find amazing hotel deals at the last minute. It sounds counterintuitive, but I assure you, unlike flights, hotel rates usually get cheaper at the last minute. And Hotel Tonight helps hotels sell their unsold rooms, allowing them to pass those deals along to you. These are not last resort places. They are actually cool, top-rated hotels that you want to stay in. And with so many awesome partner hotels in a ton of different countries, Hotel Tonight can help you find a great hotel almost anywhere. It's perfect for a spontaneous getaway or finally going on that trip you've been wanting to take. I've been using Hotel Tonight all summer to get away on weekend getaways, so late week getaways, and I'm going to be using it as much as possible in the future, man. It's Vegas, I used it. It's just so cool to be able to like check this app out and be like, oh man, that's pretty good for what I'm looking for. Bang, booked. Even though the app's name is Hotel Tonight, you can book up to a week in advance. All it takes is 10 seconds, just three taps and a swipe. So get in on these killer last-minute deals and download the Hotel Tonight app now. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Proper Cloth. Finding a dress shirt that fits is hard. Seriously, something's always off. Too blousey, too long, too short, whatever it is. Thankfully, ordering a custom-fit shirt has never been easier with Proper Cloth. At propercloth.com, you can easily create a custom shirt size in seconds just by answering 10 simple questions. Not to mention, you can choose from over 20 collar styles, 10 cuff styles, and 500 fabric styles from classic to business to completely customize your shirt and get the style that you want. The team at Proper Cloth works with the best fabric producers from around the world and only buy fabrics that meet the highest quality expectations. Each one of their shirts goes through an extensive quality control testing, so you're getting the absolute best in quality and craftsmanship. And best of all, proper cloth guarantees a perfect fit, meaning that if somehow your shirt doesn't fit perfectly, they'll remake that thing for free. This is the future of shirts. These shirts are made completely custom for you, starting at just $80. Stop wearing shirts that don't fit. Start looking your best with a custom-fitted shirt. Go to propercloth.com BS today. Enter the gift code BS and you get $20 off your first shirt. How amazing is that? Do it today. Okay, guys. Andy is on a jet plane somewhere warm, somewhere beautiful. Mm, his own sex boat. He yeah. is. I'm joined by Jason Concepcion <laughs> and Mallory Rubin from Binge Mode. What an honor. Welcome to The Watch, guys. The, the honor is ours. It really the is. The honor is ours, truly. It's a privilege we to be We haven't done this you. in a while. I wanted to get your unvarnished... Um, unfact checked takes. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh wow! Oh. Let me put the solvent on the <laughs> on the jo- on the trolley horse and just get um, that, that varnish off. Long season, and I, here's where I wanted to start, mm-hmm. Mallory. If yeah, I may be so bold as to uh, take people to inside, we you were just talking about this a little while ago. I know that you guys are working on working season seven episodes into the Ringers Game of Thrones episodes ranking, mm-hmm. right? And you said, interestingly enough, I thought. That it did not fare very well. No. Correct. Uh, tell me a little bit about that. Tell me a little... And, and well, okay. So, specifically, how did you take these episodes, you put them against this thing that you've been talking about for the last four months. Mm-hmm. Was that a, a gut check? 
did that did that was that kind of like oh may, season seven had issues i think that we felt those issues in a very real way as we were watching it and one of the things that is important to do certainly when you're ranking 67 episodes of a show or just when you're ranking 60 as our staff did heading into this season is to attempt to like counter your own recency or primacy bias like I think we saw a lot of early episodes rank very well and a lot of late episodes rank very well when we did this the first time which is not shocking Um, season seven had some really good moments and it also had a lot of problems and because of the truncated nature of the season there was not the opportunity to have enough of the high highs to compensate for the lows so you're you're left with an experience where sort of inevitably by the nature of the experience you focus more on the flaws than on the things you liked now i think that's also just like we just finished it and maybe we step back in Three months, maybe certainly after we finish the series, we step back and it it fares a little bit better. We're talking about that idea that seven and eight could be viewed as a right as a complete statement. Yeah, because we we saw that a bit just with the finale itself, right? We were certainly not willing to forgive some of the transgressions. Like I don't think any of us will ever make peace with what happened with Arya this season. No, but you ultimately could get to the point where you said, okay. I like the way the Littlefinger thing played out in that moment. I don't like how they got there. I wish they had made different choices. But the thing itself worked. And so maybe we end up feeling that way about the entire season. But the thing about Game of Thrones is that it's really fucking good. And a lot of these episodes leading up to season seven were incredible. And so it's a really, really, Mm -hmm. really hard top tier to crack period. Like even something like Spoils of War that I think we all were like, wow, that was a dope hour of TV. Is it in the pantheon of amazing Game of Thrones episodes? I'm not sure. Yeah. The one thing that I wound up, I think I think I said this to Andy. The one thing that I sort of weirdly wound up appreciating in retrospect, especially after last night's episode, was uh, mid-period boring Game of Thrones episodes. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I miss them, and I think yeah. that they actually were quite important. Mm. It used to be with those ten episode arcs. It would be like something important happened early on, and then there was a lot of table setting that happened for yeah. like three or four episodes. But that shit was really, really important. Nobody knows that more than you. I think uh, part of what was tough about season seven is um, there wasn't a feeling of of depth that the best Game of Thrones episodes and seasons have. Like to me, like the 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 core like Game of Thrones experience is something like the door. Or even like episode one of season four where um, Tyrion welcomes Oberyn Martell and you get this feeling of stepping into a story that's been going on for decades, you know, Mm -hmm. and and watching it unfold, watching uh, things that have been kind of bubbling below the surface for years and years and years suddenly come up to the surface. Um, And with this season, you just really didn't get that until really the last 30 minutes of the finale. Right. You know, it was a bunch of stuff that... um, seemed really disconnected from the rest of the series. Yeah. You know, like Arya and Sansa is like a prime example. It's two people that we've come to know really intimately over the course of seven seasons acting in a way that's kind of like unrecognizable and it was just tough. Yeah, I mean, we we threw a lot of inside pitches at George over the years, I think, about his, yeah. his slowness and his pages. Who's we? Well, <laughs> collectively. <laughs> And uh, the royal we. And um, there's a, what was it? Is it a blog he wrote or is it like a letter he wrote that was about kind of like a critique of Tolkien? And it was about like this idea that, were you talking about this? But it was like this idea that like 
He's like, Tolkien's good, but, and he is mm-hmm. like, here's all these questions I have about yeah. orcs. And like, what it works, what were the right. orcs doing after Sauron died? Like, where'd they go? And what was their system of government? Right. He wants to know, like, who's rolling your bank yes. if you're funding a war effort. Like, yes. George is obsessed with the details of the world. That is why he, he, one of the things that's very important to remember, especially as we're critiquing the way that his story is adapted, is that he never wanted it to be adapted. Right. Like, he, specifically <laughs> sought out to create something that could not be adapted. He said, right? yeah, that's what he said. It's like, I'm going to write something that can't be adapted. Because it's so deep and interconnected and the history goes back thousands of right. years. Right. And so you were inevitably going to feel, I think, at some point along the way, robbed of some aspect of like that richness mm-hmm. of the world that he built. The other thing with the, the, the Tolkien connection that's interesting is that while he loves Tolkien, is clearly informed by him and worships him, I think his issue maybe is like partially with Tolkien and the depth of the world and also partially with the way his disciples have behaved, right? Yeah. Like the idea that you have like black and white, good right. and evil. Mm-hmm. And that is, I think, to George and also to the best storytellers. This is true for like The Wire and David Simon. Like the mm-hmm. idea that good and evil is that concrete, that stark of a divide and there's no gray area in the middle is like fundamentally uninteresting as mm-hmm. a storytelling device, right? And that's what makes Game of Thrones so cool is that somebody like Jamie can can do yeah. the things that he's done and still be somebody we root for. Yeah. That especially you. I mean yeah. you really root for that guy. But that's, that's amazing. Why, yeah, I I'm I think that there is a decided difference in the I don't know if you could really break it up into it's like the John and Danny story versus the Starks and Lannisters story that yeah. maybe dominated the first few seasons. But I definitely think that there is a, a, a different, it feels different. And I think that that's not anything against like what Kit Harrington and Amelia Clark are doing like with those characters or anything like that. I think it has a lot more to do with these are two characters who are being sort of held at bay by a lot of people in some ways, or at least on 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 Danny's side. I think that she has all these advisors. She's been stuck in a lot of conference rooms over the years. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and I think that there is like a sort of a desire to have them be more interactive with more characters than the ones that they've been seeing. Move a little bit more, get around a little bit more. It's, for as much as we made fun of John's incredibly uh, efficient traveling this season, sure. he at least got to see and do a lot of stuff. And yeah. it was pretty cool. Um, speaking of that good and evil stuff, I was reading online a couple of places today about that last shot of Tyrion. Uh, mm. Looking onto them, mm-hmm. and whether or not he could have, <laughs> I think for a lot of people, they're watching the show. They know there's six more episodes. Even if each of those episodes is two hours each, or whatever they wind up making them, it's hard to imagine any other big character beats other than like plot driven ones. Like, yeah. is is Tyrion in play as someone who could have like a new arc, a new like be that in between good and evil? Because he definitely didn't seem happy about that. I let me just. I really hope not. I found that extremely troubling. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tyrion, I to okay, to be fair to Tyrion, everybody who comes into contact with Daenerys Targaryen falls in love with her. Mm-hmm. She's this very charismatic, beautiful woman who rides dragons and is like uh, powerful, but also emotional and vulnerable at the same. Like she's just she's attractive to people. The most important person in the world. Yeah, Dario, Drogo. Jorah, mm. John, <laughs> like, yeah. all these people just get into her orbit and fall in love with her. Um, that said, for Tyrion, that's a tough look. Okay, maybe he would fall for her in some way. Mm-hmm. It just feels like fundamentally out of character that he would be like, 
I've, I have a shot with Daenerys and right. I need to do something. And I'm about, mad that I did. And I'm mad that, yeah, and I'm mad that, like, I don't have, I this guy's in my way. Right. Was that what that succession conversation was about? Which one? The one Wait, that, the, a couple episodes ago when he was just like, we have to make plans for like your succession. No, that was just about like continuity of government, okay. essentially. Like what's going to, that actually I thought was Tyrion at his best this yeah. season, right? That totally. was that was Tyrion um, holding Danny to her promise to actually break the wheel. Yeah. Right. Um, to restructure her government in a way that is um, fundamentally different than the things that have come before. You know, like he's was introducing an idea of like, maybe you could um, create, some kind of democratic process here. Mm-hmm. Let's just talk about it. I thought that was him at his best. The, him standing like under the weird stairs and just like staring at the <laughs> yeah. at Danny's cabin as like hump sounds are coming out is like him 100% at his worst. Yeah, because yeah. I was yeah. wondering about this idea that <laughs> hump he, uh, not unlike John, is somebody who's sort of playing with house money at this point. Like he's killed his father. He went on the run. He's, he's kind of exiled from the life he knew before. And- you know, just this in the same way that John is living essentially a second life and has dedicated himself to making the world a better place. And if that means going up against ridiculous odds and sometimes creating ridiculous odds, so be it. And I, Tyrion has been repeatedly just like, I, I am doing this because I think that she will make the world a better place, that she will right. like change right. things for the helpless and protect the people who need protecting. That that would get thrown away because he has a office crush. Yeah, it's weird. I. I think the f- it's interesting to hear you draw the connection between Tyrion and Jon because I think that's actually what's upsetting about this or the, yeah. the what's upsetting about thinking about where this could go. Like, listen, Tyrion falling hard for a woman he can't have, that fundamentally is actually his life. Yeah. Like wanting something that the world is depriving him and, of. And but, watching someone who is basically the platonic ideal like Jamie is yes. got everything t- Tyrion didn't have right. yes John now has everything Tyrion doesn't have but that's the thing like Tyrion and John that connection has been <laughs> about to cry. Yeah. oh my god <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anyone's wow. ever cried on, on a watch. Oh, my God. Last time we talked about this on Binge, I cried, too. Yeah, the Tyrion-John connection is so special because it's yeah. the heart of the entire story. Cripples, bastards, and broken things. Uh-huh. Why did they have that instant connection? Because they have both always felt like they weren't good enough, like they weren't seen clearly or truly by anybody in their lives, by those people who did get everything, who always had the chance for power or glory or love. And... If Tyrion stops feeling like John is basically like him and suddenly John is the other, yeah, that that's kinda tough. sucks. Really like sucks. Tyrion and John seeing the thing in each other that nobody ever saw in them is like a really important bedrock yeah. to the yeah. entire story. I don't want that to be taken away from us. And it's also it's just it's in line with the worst stuff that happened this season, which is just stuff that felt extremely manufactured. Like, oh, we need this plot because the Night King is boring because we don't want to write his backstory or do any work. So we got to create this thing where there's some kind of internecine force that is uh, tearing apart what should be like a pretty solid alliance. Wow, I just realized I've been pronouncing it, that word wrong for my whole life. <laughs> which one? I don't know. Maybe I say, I'm pronouncing I it wrong. Which one, Gilly? Oh, okay. <laughs> I say intercene. <laughs> That's devastating. Go ahead. So it's it just feels like extremely manufactured. Like all of a sudden, like Tyrion is going to get caught up in his feelings in a way that's going to like blow an alliance that the entire world depends on. Right. Yeah. Like no, no. So you you touched on this a little bit. We talked about it last night on Talk the Thrones. You turned to the camera. You said, "Don't f this up." Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Let me just throw out, I know you're just going to say no, but let me just throw out one theory. Okay. The reason why this felt, this season, I think, felt like they were playing prevent defense and there was a lot of like, oh man, Cersei's going to die in like the third episode. Right. You know, this like this little finger 100% dies next week, whatever. Like the feeling that we, the momentum, and that was partially uh, all of the preseason interviews with character, with actors mm-hmm. or, or people who worked on the show was just like, the pace at which this show moves is unbelievable. People right. aren't going to believe like their eyebrows are going to fall out because of this. And you know, it was like, a lot of near deaths and a lot of like close calls, but felt a lot more traditionally like, look, we cannot get rid of Nikolai, man. That guy is super popular. He's yeah. going to be on the show for a little while longer. <laughs> um, is it possible that that was a stalling act to give George more time? Hmm. To give George more time yeah. as opposed to just saving the good stuff for season eight? I don't, I, I don't, when have they ever saved the good stuff? I think they, I think they don't care about him. I agree with that. Yeah. I right? think there's, there's a, like, in retrospect, naming season six's finale Winds of Winter Crazy. was a dick move. That was a trollish, <laughs> so, like, just in case people don't know why, like, just because that's the name that's of the, the book that he's the, working yeah, on. It's the name of the book that he's working on that's been, it's now been seven years or something. Oh my God. <laughs> fucking crazy. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> it's been like seven years, like, and he's, you know, ostensibly working on it. And to name, to put the crucial reveal of the central mystery of George's story in an episode titled what he plans to title his next book just felt like a really dick move. Like, that was, that was fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. I also, I completely agree. And I, I also think that. Even if we are to like enter the most charitable, altruistic headspace possible, a year isn't enough time. Yeah, it's not. Yeah. For George. Like you're buying him time to maybe, maybe, maybe put out the sixth volume. What about the seventh? Right. He would there's no scenario in which None. he finishes the story before the show does. None. And that that possibility has ceased to exist, honestly, like when they chose to start the show. Yeah. Yeah, but he is—he was more deeply involved with the show for a while, though, wasn't he? he was named executive producer. He had co-writing, or did he write some of the scripts? Right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He, he And now he's out there, like I don't watch Game of Thrones. I don't watch right. Game of Thrones. I'm with <laughs> Quentin Tarantino, like drinking. I'm wearing hats. I'm wearing hats. Trying <laughs> <laughs> on new hats on social media. So, what do they have to do to not f it up? Uh, they have to. They have to stop being and like I don't know shit, right? But. The sense I get is that there's like a um, they are um, they treat the fantasy elements of this story almost like they're ashamed of them. Mm-hmm. Like they they that stuff requires meticulous planning. You can't just be like Bran is a three eyed raven now and he can see the future. He knows magic and here's how the wards and the wall work. Like you have to you have to set those rules up in a certain way so that we all understand how they work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't get a sense that that the showrunners are interested in doing that at all, at all. Right? You know, like, not at all. Interested what do you think they're interested in? In just cashing out, getting out quick. Maybe that's uncharitable. Do you have a more charitable view of it? Uh, I can pretend to, for the sake of discussion. <laughs> yeah, no, you don't have to. Um, I, I, think... I mean, like, look, like you two look, being I... like, I am really worried about this because I have like yeah, a whole concerning. other thing I want to ask you about that has to do with this. But so, okay. Jason and I were having this conversation yesterday. We, mm-hmm. we were having it last week. I actually had this conversation with my dad on the phone on Saturday. He called 
heading down to the Outer Banks for the week, wanted to say good luck <laughs> to the Talk of Thrones crew. Oh, and thanks, Mr. R. <laughs> thanks, Bear. <laughs> and we were talking about the hero's journey and John, as we so often do. Yeah. And one of the things that he said that I thought was really interesting and is very much in line with how Jason and I, and I think a lot of people think about the story, is it was always very clear if you are a fan of fantasy literature and the genre that it was going to be John's story. That was apparent quickly. And then in some ways it was going to be about John and Danny and that twosome and what that twosome represents in this world. But that the most important part of the story to the people who care deeply about it yeah. was Sansa, Arya, and Bran. Specifically, That's the heart of Bran. Really? That's the soul of the show. Yeah. Because, again, why do people like fantasy stories? Mm-hmm. What did Lewin say to Bran way back at the beginning of the story? Who doesn't want to believe that they're special? Right. Right? And so these kids who aren't necessarily the ones in position of actual power being able to impact the world in some way. Tyrion, Tyrion fits this mold too. That's the coolest idea that there is in the entire sure, fucking world. Right, sure. right? And so to lose sight of those characters that's, and that yeah, idea. That's Superman. That's the natural. Is devastating. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so like, look, John is my favorite character in the story. John is one of my favorite characters in literature, period. I'm all in on John. I pick him as like the winner practically every week. I love him. <laughs> I'm fully invested in this being John's story, but I don't just want John and Danny. I don't want that to be the only thing that feels like it matters in the show because the whole thing that made Game of Thrones interesting and compelling and really special as a proposition was that so many other things always mattered too. Mm -hmm. And when you lose sight of that, particularly when the other things that matter are the ones that feel really core to the genre, it feels like a certain, if not betrayal of an ideal, then at least like you've kind of lost sight of what the thing was about in the first place. And I think that is a very sincere concern for people at this point. Now, if there are six episodes left and we get a lot of fucking on boats and John sure. Ryan's rides Rhaegal and Mel comes good. back from Volantis and Beric passes the kiss of life yeah. and Jamie chokes Cersei and the Night King melts down the Red Keep, I think we'll all be like, this was really dope. Like, yeah. I don't think there's a world in which people are like Game of Thrones stop being fun or interesting or right. cool. No. But there was a point in the last couple of years where people were like, this isn't just a fun TV show. This is one of the defining stories yes. of our time. And I think people who have read the books have felt that way for a while, but yeah. that became just a, a commonly held yeah. opinion about culture. There's also the idea that they were doing it right. <laughs> they, yeah. That they, yes. This was actually like, you and I, we love X-Men. Like, yeah. we really love X-Men. And they fucked it. They yeah. like, they did not, like, when people are like, oh man, X-Men. You know, those X-Men movies are pretty, early X-Men movies are pretty good. I'm like, they're fine. Right. You know, like Logan was really, really good. But that's a character people have been living with for decades and have so many different stories about it. And they screwed up half of the stories that they told with him. Like, we are not unfamiliar with the idea of something that we love that is like this incredible act of just Herculean storytelling being just completely screwed up by television or movies, you know? And the idea is that like for... Six seasons, they were throwing a perfect game. I mean, pretty much. I hate to keep coming back to the loot train attack. The that's, idea. No, you, that, I, I want the. I want like, the example. Yeah, but that's it's that's to me is an example, a prime example of just um, the attention to detail that is required to create this kind of um, seamless interconnected world. George is great at naming stuff, um, and to name a battle loot 
loot train attack, <laughs> which is like a a production title yeah. placeholder. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's like you name that something. <laughs> you name that in the script outline. And then just got passed down yeah, somehow, like, like all if, the way. If Winds of Winter was called Dome Bomb. Right. Yeah. And literally no one in that world will ever call that the loot train attack. Right. They would never say that. It's that kind of thing that is just, uh, you know, it, it's a misunderstanding of what genre they're working in. Mm-hmm. And it's, that's, I found it troubling. Right. I, I, the other thing is, of course, like the X-Men example or like Harry Potter or... or Lord of the Rings or anything, it's like there's established canon that people can turn to. Right. So, like, I can say, all right, I think that the adaptation of Half-Blood Prince is like a crime against humanity, (laughs) but I have Half-Blood Prince, Mm -hmm. the book, so it doesn't matter to me that the movie is bad. You don't have Winds of Winter. I don't have Winds of Winter. I don't have confidence. I can't know for sure that we will ever get the end of the story fully as intended and as no, desired. And so that that makes it harder, I think, to forgive anything we view as a transgression. That's really the subtext through all of this. And that's the thing. Like, they have a shot to to um, create the definitive ending of this story. Right. Um, and it's a story that millions of people have their interior lives wrapped up in for years. Uh-huh. Um, they care deeply about these characters and the things that they've been through. Um, and to mess it up, to kind of, you know, just to to bottle it in a way that doesn't um, pay homage to the things that those characters have gone through um, would really, it would really be painful for a lot of people. And I think it, it will, it would haunt them. It with, would haunt Benioff and Weiss. With the exception of Benioff and Weiss, the actors, some of whom are aging in a way that they can't control, you know, <laughs> yeah. and some of them who I'm sure... Wait, like, name names. I wonder how tall Robin Aaron is right now. Is <laughs> so he just like seven feet? He's like yeah. a legitimate small forward. He's probably like, he's actually playing in the Croatian league <laughs> yeah, right. and being scouted by the Mavericks. He, I mean, he looks like he looks like Julian Casablanca's like <laughs> playing for like Juventus or something. With the exception of like the desire of probably several of these actors to maybe move on with their lives and not spend X amount of months in Belfast or Iceland or Spain or wherever. Um, this is one of the rare times where I'm like, this show could have just been 15 years long. Like, Why not? Yeah. Like, like we fucking recast. Yeah. You've done it all the time. Like, Someone wants to leave, recast. Yeah. I mean, it finish would, the story it right. It would be wild. You, I don't know if you could do that with Lena. I don't know if you could do that with Nikolai or Kit. But, and I'm just, just for the sake of not but having. But you can me. also kill any of those people yeah. except for John, probably at this point. Like, you, we all, look, we picked Jamie and Cersei in the mortality pool. Yeah. People thought these people were going to die, yeah. right? Yeah. So, like, if you can't ink. Dinklage to another deal, right? Write Tyrion out of the story. That's not a satisfying reason to do it, but it happens. Shit like that happens all the time. All the time. Yeah. I will ask you guys the opposite side of that. Should it just have been one final ten episode season? Because it seems oh, like they were one hundred percent, one hundred percent. Even if it meant fewer hours of the story, we'd yeah. all have more peace, yes, and comfort if they had not been basically working toward this clear end point of the season and back mapping yeah that's the entire I think it way. actually could have ended the show I mean it would have been a very unsatisfying end of the show itself but I don't know that I think I don't know that they needed to show the Great War I think that the Great War could have been like and then into the future and it could have been John and Danny defeat the Lannisters or whatever 
and they've they've formed this coalition of man to fight the great battle and like they get married and like that's spin-off time if you right. guys want to do a night king show right. or if you guys want to do a what's it like the middle-aged john and danny mm-hmm. or whatever they do mm-hmm. like you could have ended it but I, yeah. I don't i don't find i don't yeah. think that would be satisfying for <laughs> many people right. but what they're going to have to do next season with the storylines that they've already like started kicking around with the golden company and Euron and you know what like what's going to happen with Cersei and where's Jamie going and all the people who are still on the board plus this army marching south that's a lot to do in 6 episodes i don't care how long the episodes are right. which leads me to my final question for you sure. guys we are in the age this is all we talk about we are in the age of expanding universes and intellectual property i am going to give you a choice <laughs> okay. Game of Thrones, the television show, ends in an unsatisfactory way. Ugh. But largely what you're saying. Some storytelling errors, some like lack of depth, but cool shit.com. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Five dragons setting yeah. shit on fire. And yeah, guys John fighting with magic the Night swords. King. Yeah, 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 whatever it happens. Lots of sex on boats. And, and tons <laughs> of sex on boats. And that ends, and then you're like, cool, and let's say, because like, I want to I have nice things like George finishes six or whatever. So God, George finishes God bless the, us. Just a book. Okay. Yeah. Or. Just six or six and seven? Let's say six and, six and seven. Then okay. he eventually finishes his last two books. In. That would be wild, okay. yeah. but yeah. let's just say. <laughs> I'm in my retirement home in Boca. <laughs> or, with HBO or not, Game of Thrones becomes expanded universe, and there's six Game of Thrones shows on. At the same time? Yeah. And that there are shows about the history, there are side shows, there are... Hell, they could reboot the whole thing. But maybe it doesn't have the grandeur and majesty and $100 million budgets that this one does, but... And we never, get a, we never get another page from George? That's well, the, I don't necessarily want to make you choose, but I think what I'm trying to get at is, like, you've had this experience by having this beloved text turn into a television show that has some issues, but has basically been the biggest pop culture sensation of the century for the most sure. part. Um, like... Would you rather not see it adapted again? Hmm. Would you rather not see anybody hmm. screw up anything that you guys... Would you rather not see a young Griff show get right. messed up? Would you rather not see... Uh, a, 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 not even a Robert's Rebellion? I mean, maybe you could do a Robert's Rebellion show. I mean, I would be interested in any of it. But Game of Thrones has this like weird place in the culture of hmm. being both something that diehard, aggressive fans are into and also casual people are into. I mean, what happens? What, what what would you what would you rather see happen next? Would you rather have like B B minus B plus Game of Thrones spinoffs right. or nothing at all because it just didn't feel good when you were watching the main show? I think I would, man. I mean, I love this world and it's great, and there's so much depth and so much backstory to everything that a B minus to B Game of Thrones Westeros history of Westeros story would be pretty good. Um. I think this is not quite the question you're asking, but um, the thing that worries me about like the ending of Game of Thrones is that if they bottle it, the the less the takeaway is going to be, oh, you know what? Fantasy doesn't work. It's not. People don't like it. It's not adult. Like um, Game of Thrones was great when it was all politics and it was all like, oh, yeah, it was all like families. Yeah, yeah. But squabbling. when it's dragons versus ice but when zombies. it's dragons and magic swords and, and the prince who was promised, that's. That's for kids. And that's that's bad. That's tragic because it's not because that stuff isn't compelling. It's because it didn't they didn't do it right. They just didn't do it right. Yeah. Man, that's sad to think about. 
Boy, that bums me out. I <laughs> sorry, Mel. Just I like a, I mean, choose any scenario where I get more pages from George. Okay. Yeah, same. Yeah. But I'm all in on spinoffs. Yeah. I want more adaptations. Nothing about okay, here's the other thing. It is important, like very real end game concerns aside, to pan back and basically remember that we like didn't like, like, we really didn't like two episodes here. Right. Right. Eastwatch and Beyond the Wall were deeply flawed episodes in a 67 episode run. That's like pretty good. Now, there are other problematic episodes along the way, certainly, but still a pretty high hit rate. And if they can rediscover that form and sustain it in season eight, then we'll all be thrilled. In general, when I love a world, I love it so fully that I just want to spend as much time there as possible, even if it's not perfect. Yeah. Like, Even if it's the Defender's version of whatever. In yeah. a, you know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah, yeah, totally. Because, again, one of the things that pe- like that draws people to the story in the first place is just the depth, the mm-hmm. scope, the vastness of this thing that he's created. And it would almost feel tragic if we never got to see more of that yeah. brought to light. There's so much. And life, like, on yeah. our screens. There's just so much, so much. there. To explore and like I'm you guys know this about me like I'm like firmly in the let rolling right camp like no matter how many Harry Potter world stories whether it's on Pottermore like I thought Cursed Child was like an abomination but there's not a moment in my life where I've thought I wish she she hadn't done this yeah because like any any shred of extra detail about that world is a precious gift that's cool that's how I feel about it and so I would feel that way about more Thrones spinoffs too. Like I still am really excited to see what they decide on for for the spinoffs. I mean, I think frankly, picking a story that has, yes, obviously it's going to come from George's world and going to be one of his creations, but less canon, less pages behind it. Yeah, less fully developed characters. The Gene Goldman one that she's working on with George and that's the one that he was like, or she was like, yeah, people it's something will that will be it. familiar to right. people, but yeah. that has not been deeply. So what would that be? Well, so George has basically put the kibosh on Robert's Rebellion and Duncan Egg, right? right? He's right. kind of like, you're not getting the two things you probably right. want the most. Now, I know you are out on Robert's Rebellion because uh, I was, it's I was too familiar, too close. I thought it was too close and I thought it would just, there's too much baggage Um Listen, I, I would watch. I know you. I've the, never, and you'd also get the Rogue One bit of like yeah. leading right yes. into Thrones. Well, that's the thing. I've never wanted it more weirdly than today, because like <laughs> it was so so thrilling to get a glimpse of Rhaegar finally, and I was like, that was twelve not seconds. Enough. That was not twelve enough. hours yeah. it was of that. Not you know? enough. Yeah. So I kind of want that more. I mean, I think what Blackfire Rebellion. Oh. Do we get Aegon's conquest? Sure. That would be incredible. What? what? I think it's probably going to be. I think I don't know. I from what I've. I don't. Know. I feel like it's going to be the Dance of Dragons. Just yeah. seems like that, which is like a civil war. CGI, that lots of dragons, <laughs> evil queens, children getting killed. And it happened like 150 years ago. Is really the end of um, the Targaryens as a dragon power, right? They've um, definitely never opted into a story that required expensive CGI animals <laughs> and then come to regret. Well, that that's going to be the so. big question: is like what kind of budgetary? I mean, I think that. What kind of commitment are they going to make to make this show? Because obviously you can make a Punisher that takes place on six sets and right. three back back lots, New Yorks. Mm-hmm. Or you can make a Punisher that, you know, looks like Dirty Harry in 1978 or whatever you wanted to make it. Um, so fi- my last question for you guys. Uh, what is the first thing 
that you are going to watch hmm. now that you are done. <laughs> Once binge mode is over on Wednesday, what's the first thing that you've either been hearing about that you're like, oh man, I got it. I know I got to watch this Ozark. Or <laughs> it's gonna make read Ozark or go to the movies. Like what's the first <laughs> thing you're going to do? What's the palate cleanser? I honestly have no idea. <laughs> I'm dead serious. Yeah. I have no idea. Okay. I'm all, I, I can't even think about it right now. I bet people adding you, giving you suggestions would be a welcome respite. People at no, it wouldn't actually be. <laughs> don't do that. Everyone who heard that, don't do that. Yeah. Don't add, stop adding me. Um, Let's add Andy Greenwald that you want to yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, You're going to, you're going to think I'm lying, but I am going to do a complete A Song of Ice and Fire reread. Oh my God. Right now. Yeah. I knew she was going to say I'm that. actually really excited to dive back in. <laughs> It's, you just always find new things, and every bit of new information you learn informs how you process something from the past. So I'm I'm excited about that, and I also look forward to finally reading the name of the wind. Shouts to Ben Lindbergh. Shouts I'm to Ben Lindbergh. I'm going to do it finally. So I'm excited what? to get into another Patrick Rothfuss. epic fantasy yeah. saga that has definitely not been completed yet. Yes, last I'm excited. Came out to 2011. How old is that guy? He's like in his 40s. Oh, yeah, he's got plenty like of time. Yeah, he's got he's a Trust me, everything happens through in your 40s. It gets really nice. good. Television? <laughs> I'm, I want to catch up on Preacher. Uh-huh. Ooh. I want to watch Ozark truly because it means so much to you and I yeah, I care about your passion. I just think same. both of you would enjoy it a lot. Okay. And then the honest answer is like it's, what is it, August 28th? I'm going to just be watching like a lot of football and baseball. Yeah, that's right. Because <laughs> we work at theRinger.com. Yes. Get ready for t- ten <laughs> games before you write off the next season. Right. Oh. Um, Jason and Mallory, you guys have been an inspirational uh, thing here. It's like just incredible to watch you guys do what you do on a weekly basis and to listen to Binge Mode. Everybody should go check out Binge Mode. And the cool thing about Binge Mode is always there for you, so you guys can go back. And if you want to rewatch Game of Thrones in this maybe the eighteen month break that we're gonna have until it comes back. That's another weird thing we didn't really talk about. Not right. Yeah. Uh, it's crazy. Yeah. Um yeah. And you guys can always go back and listen to all these episodes of Binge Mode. They'll be there for you. It's a really cool library, an archive of like analysis and it's a really cool active scholarship. I'm I'm very impressed with it. Everybody is. So thank you guys so much for being on the watch and we can't wait to hear the last binge mode this week. We just try to make you proud. Aww. That's true. Dad. Take care guys. Come on, Dad. <laughs> Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Proper Cloth. Finding a dress shirt that fits is hard because something's always off. Too blousey, too long, collar doesn't look right. Thankfully, ordering a custom fit shirt has never been easier, though, with Proper Cloth. At propercloth.com, you can easily create a shirt size in seconds by just answering 10 simple questions. Not to mention, you can choose from over 20 collar styles, 10 cuff styles, and 500 fabric styles, from classic to business. Completely customize your shirt and get the style that you want. The team at Proper Cloth works with the best fabric producers from around the world and only buy fabrics that meet their high-quality expectations. Each one of their shirts goes through an extensive quality control testing, so you're getting the absolute best quality and craftsmanship. And best of all, Proper Cloth guarantees a perfect fit, meaning that if somehow your shirt doesn't fit perfectly, they'll just remake that bad boy for free. This is the future of shirts. These shirts are made completely custom for you, and they start at just $80. Stop wearing shirts that don't fit. You don't have to do that to yourself anymore. Start looking your best with a custom-fitted shirt. Go to propercloth.com, P-R-O-P-E-R-C-L-O-T-H.com slash BS today. Enter the gift code BS and you get $20 off your first shirt. Do it today.